You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's not the Russell that they obviously thought they were getting, but I don't I don't think there's anything that can't be fixed with good coaching. You know, his style is under center, a lot more movement, be a little bit more uh, aggressive when things aren't there, take off and, and pick up the four or five yards. And he wasn't doing that. He's only 34 years old. He's not like he's 40 years old. I think the Broncos aren't too far away. Hey now, what's cracking? Welcome to this milestone episode of the Jim Rohn Podcast. That's right, somehow, someway, this is the 250th edition of the original Side Hustle. So thank you very much to everybody who's been listening from the very beginning, nearly five and a half years ago. And to anybody who's just now finding it welcome, you have made a very good choice. Because today, my guest is an NFL Hall of Famer, a two-time Super Bowl champ, the MVP of the league in 1998. He was the MVP of Super Bowl 32, a three-time first-team All-Pro, a two-time NFL Offensive Player of the Year, and most importantly, a former Long Beach State 49er, and then later, of course, a Georgia Bulldog. If it were not already clear, my guest this week is Denver Broncos legend Terrell Davis. And I cannot think of a better time to catch up with TD than right at the start of the NFL playoffs and right after Georgia went back-to-back with their natties. So let's get right at it. It's episode 250 with Hall of Famer Terrell Davis, and it's coming at you right now. TD, it is always great to run you down. In fact, this is a milestone episode of this podcast. Number 250, I knew I had to get somebody big, so I came looking for you. TD, what's up? How you doing? <laughs> Stop it, man. You know how to butter folks up, man. You know how to really just, just pull on a heartstring there, Jim. My man. Hey, brother, it's good to be on the show with you, man. You know I, I love coming on with you. I appreciate you so much, and I meant that. That is true. I knew I had to get somebody big for 250, so here we go. So you're a proud Georgia alum, and we all know this. How fired up were you, TD, to see your Bulldogs go back-to-back and lay that beat down on TCU, or maybe are you still celebrating? Oh, I'm still celebrating. You know, last year when we won the Natty, uh, we beat Alabama, and that was um, – and I was big because that was the bully. We had we had to go through them to win the championship. And I was celebrate that. Yeah, because think about it. I, I played at Georgia in the early 90s, man. And uh, we hadn't seen a championship since 1980. And so it's been 41 years since we've been on the mountaintop. And so uh, celebrating that last year and then coming into this season and having a year that we, that we had, uh, it was a good chance we could do it again. But you never know because you, we lost 15 starters and, you know, to the NFL, and, and it's a whole new team. Uh, but Kirby Smart had the team ready to go. And coming into the, the playoffs, man, I thought we were I thought we were in good shape. I thought defensively we needed to clean some things up. But, uh, man, the game they played, um, you know, Monday, man, was incredible. They they played a complete game. And, and I was a little surprised at the score. I thought TCU would have been a little bit uh, of a problem for us, and, and we would have had to play four quarters to beat them. But it just – I mean, from the jump, Georgia was Georgia was on top of it and uh, really made the corrections and and uh, held a very talented team and only seven points, man. That was incredible. Right, like you said. I mean, that is 
bully ball. I think you make a great point, too. I was going to say, given the sheer number of players that Georgia has sent to the NFL over the years, it's hard to imagine. But to your point, the program had gone more than four decades without winning a national championship before last year. And then Kirby Smart takes over. TD, how did he build what he did and what makes him the best in the business right now? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but Kirby was my teammate in Georgia. Uh, yep. He was a freshman. I was there, and actually, Will Smith, uh, I'm Will Smith, Will Muschamp, um, the D.C. was my teammate as well. And, you know, Kirby, obviously getting experience playing or coaching on the Nick Saban, I think, helped a lot, being able to see how a program was built and and just seeing the differences between, you know, what Alabama was bringing, uh, not only with the recruits, but just the way they were coached up and, and bringing a certain mentality to the table, you know, where you've, you got to feel like if, when you're at Georgia, it's, it's a pride situation. Like we're Georgia, you know, we're, we're, we're no less than Alabama. We're no less than LSU or Florida or, you know, Tennessee or whoever. And so he brought that swag back in a different way. Um, and he just, he, he's able to keep kids focused on the here and now and not get too far ahead of, uh, you know, games that they're playing in. And every game to them just feels like it's the most important game. Um, and he's done an outstanding job. I mean, Kirby has was, was really been a, a blessing for us to get him back at Georgia and, and take us to the promised land. That's so interesting. You know, I think as most people know, TD, you began your Hall of Fame career as a sixth-round draft pick at the Broncos in 1995. Sixth-rounders do not generally make the team, much less stick in the league, let alone end up with a yellow jacket the way you did. What was your mindset coming out of Georgia, and what kind of NFL career did you envision for yourself? Yeah, Jim, you know, Georgia was it was kind of the low point in my life. Um, you know, I'm from San Diego and ended up going to Georgia. And, um, you know, when I got there, it was bigger. It was bigger than I expected, man. You know, I got there and, and the game was just too big for me. And it just kind of took away. Uh, you hear the doorbell ringing? Do not. <laughs> no, it's, you sound great. Okay. And so um, when I got there, man, it just everything got to me. Right. It's Georgia. It was a big stage. Um, running back, you was there and everything just, I, I didn't perform the way I should have performed. So I kind of let Georgia down, but it was necessary, man. I think that experience for me after having that experience and then going to uh, play it at, at, uh, in Denver, man, I, I took a lot of those lessons that I learned at Georgia to the pros. And really a lot of those were, you got to be your best every single time, man. And you gotta, you can't worry about the next game, the next play. Every play that you're out there, man, you're trying to you're trying to prove something. And I didn't get that at Georgia until I left and I realized that, man, I, I wasn't giving it all I had. And, you know, I had a little little beef with the coach there at the time and we've since made up. But, you know, Georgia was necessary for my 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 growth. And um, it brought a, a sense of maturity to me when I got to, to Denver that I was able to use to my advantage. And then, you know, obviously having great coaching in Max Shinehan and, uh, you know, Gary Kubiak and a running back coach Bobby Turner, man, it was almost a perfect scenario for me to come in as a six round draft pick because for their whole uh, philosophy was didn't matter where you were drafted, you still going to compete to be a starter. And it kind of opened the door for me and I kind of took advantage of it. You know, it, it's such a great story. It's such a great anecdote. But the thing is, when you first got there, it still was tough, right? Like that preseason was insane in the sense that you play the Niners in the first game and then you actually go back to back and you go to Tokyo and play them in a second game. So that's kind of weird. But things did not, they were not going so well, right? In fact, did you not consider quitting before that Hall of Fame career even started? Like what was going on in that preseason? Yeah, man. The story is uh, 
I was in Tokyo, Japan, and you know, it wasn't the, it wasn't the the training camp I expected. Um, six round draft picks don't get a lot of reps in practice, and you don't get a lot of shots to prove yourself. And I was having a terrible training camp. And there was one day where I, we were in Tokyo, Japan, playing at the San Francisco 49ers in a second preseason game. And I was like, listen, man, when I get back to L.A., they're going to cut me anyway. You know, but the coach was constantly on me. It just wasn't a good training camp. And I wanted to uh, go home. So the hotel called down to the front desk and was trying to get you know, a flight back to to the States. And, you know, uh I guess my Japanese wasn't great, so they didn't understand what I was talking about, and so I I, I couldn't get out. And I was like, when I get back to the states, man, I'm done. Like I, I'm 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 a quit because I I just think I didn't think I was gonna make the team. Um, but ironically, that same <laughs> two days later, I played in the game and made a hit on special teams, and that changed my whole I guess uh, you know career path, man. Made that one play, and then I ended up being the run, the, the starting running back actually, uh, first game of the year. So I had to. Uh, you know, came out there and just just made a play, and that was that was that was cool to make that play, and then uh, have the coaches give me a shot at running back. Hey, are you craving some protein after a good workout? I always am. Listen, this time don't make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, anywhere at all. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? TD, yeah, but the thing is, I mean, I don't want to be overly dramatic here, but like they put you in to run down on kicks. Had you ever done that before? And if that, again, not to be overly dramatic, but if you don't make that play, are you and I having this conversation right now? Probably not. No, no, I'm not. We're not having this conversation. Um, but it's a, it's again another lesson was to me was you know you have to always be ready. And and to answer your question, no, I had not gone out on kicks, not in the pros and not in college, but I did in high school in Pop Warner, so I had some knowledge of it, but I didn't know um, what the actual play was to run down there because people think you just line up and run down. You kind of do, but there is place where you cross with some of the guys and, and you know, have some guys who blow up the wedge. Some guys are there to kind of get the spill from the wedge. And I hadn't been on any of the special teams up to that point, so I didn't know what my assignment was. I just knew when they put me in, it dawned on me. I'm in the game, and I just said, man, I have to go make this tackle. I need to go make this play. And if you watch the tape, man, I'm the first one down there, and – uh I just I just took my shot and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. It's 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 hard to even imagine you. I mean, sure, you're a football player looking to make a play, but it's kind of hard to imagine you running down and covering kicks, but you knew enough. I mean, it's a great anecdote and a great point that I had to be ready and when they called me to make that play, I made that play. So, I you know, I know this also. The 97 championship squad got together for a reunion back in October. I can only imagine what the bonds must be like when you go through something like that and you achieve like that. What was it like or what's it like when you get back with the guys and what was that time like when you got together this past October? Yeah. Oh, Jim, it was it's special, man. You know, when you win Super Bowls, um, the bond that you guys create, it's it lasts forever. 
and to to get back with that 98 squad or 97 squad and um and just it almost felt like time hadn't passed like we it was still like we were still playing and and having fun in the locker room it was a great group of guys man we we weren't the most talented bunch uh we we would call ourselves the misfits you know the misfits because we we had guys they were six round draft picks uh, undrafted free agents guys like rod smith who you know, wasn't drafted at all. Ed McCaffrey, late round draft pick. Shannon Sharp, late round draft pick. Um, but yeah, we just had a bond. We we had a great time uh, playing this game. We played for each other. We were unselfish, uh, but we loved to have a good time. And we spent three years really. We had a three year run that was pretty special. You know, we won forty six games over a three year span and won two Super Bowls. So that doesn't happen unless you plan with guys who are who have a close bond who play for each other. And it doesn't help. It doesn't hurt to have a have a little good time. You know what I'm saying? We had we had a good time doing it as well. So it was fun to see the guys and and uh, I, I, I wish we can, can get the band back together. Hey, listen, I bet that whole notion of misfits, you know, guys that are taken in the sixth round, guys who are taken in the fifth round, guys who aren't taken at all. That's a powerful thing, right? You got guys collectively with a chip on their shoulder. And I would imagine that bond is something unlike anything else. What about, and it's different, TD, but what about the, the Hall of Fame bond? I mean, you didn't all play together and win together. And it's got to be something totally different. But what's the bond like among guys that have the yellow blazer? Yeah, that, that bond is it's interesting because it's it's like – Man, it's every year we we go to the, the Hall of Fame and they have the uh, the Ray Nischke luncheon, and it's the it's it's nothing but Hall of Famers in this room, Jim. And it's every year I'm blown away by standing in there and realizing that this room is the best of the best, and it's the, and a lot of times you're just walking through almost like a a, a living museum <laughs> of like football um, greats, and so. Yeah, the, the respect levels there. Nobody is is in that room trying to make other people feel like they're not um, they're not good or they're the best of everybody. It's just it's a cool experience to go in there and be with all those guys in that that room. And a lot of times, I look around I'm like, man, I can't believe I'm in this room. You know, that's how that's how cool it is. But uh, yeah, that's and the bond is cool. Like we all, you know, for me, I like to just sit there and just talk to some of the um, you know the older guys and kind of get stories from them and and try to learn a little bit about their era in football and, and what made it different then as opposed to the way we play it now. And so that's fun. That's fun to get to hear those great stories. I, I think that's awesome. Like TD, for instance, every year when I go to Super Bowl, one of the guys that I've talked to year after year after year, and he's one of my favorite guys ever, is Jerry Kramer. I'm curious, like, yeah. if you're Terrell Davis and you're a pro football Hall of Famer and you're in a room with a bunch of other Hall of Famers, like, can you give me a guy or two that you've kind of sought out or that you just kind of want to chop it up with that somebody who played the game before you, like, who's really interesting to you in that room? Uh, Jim Brown. Yeah, right. <laughs> Jim Brown. Uh, I love talking to Willie uh, Lanier. Um, he, he's got a, a ton of stories. Um, you know, Franco was in that room. I had a chance to to pick his brain, um, sit there, and I mean, there's so many different players in there. Um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, Joe Montana. I mean, you name it, man. But I think for me, the first person that really was like, "Wow," was Jim Brown. And when Jim walked in the room, it was different than anybody else walking into the room. Like Jim was the godfather. When he walked in, he had the utmost respect from anybody. If he if he spoke, everybody was quiet. And so to see that was uh, <laughs> was pretty cool. 
Like, you know, that's what you just said is, a, is amazing. When you have a room, not only of alphas, but the best of the best, you know, the upper 1% of the upper 1%, and there's one guy that every head turns to look at, and you can kind of feel it. You can't really describe it, but you can feel it. That is such an amazing thing. Like, I don't want to sleep on your SoCal background. You mentioned San Diego, and it is America's finest city. I spent a lot of time there. It wasn't always easy for you growing up there, I know. But let's not forget, dude, you started at Long Beach State, a program that shuttered the program ultimately, but you played for George Allen. I'm old enough. I remember those days. What in the world was it like to play for George Allen for that one year at that point in his life? Yeah, it was fun, man. You know, it's, um, that's a different dude, right? That, that was a different, different dude. It was, it was, but Jim, what it gave me was it gave me a, it gave me a peek at what it would feel like to play on the pro level. Hmm. Because remember, when George Allen took over, he 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 made the program feel like it was a pro program. Like he changed all the jersey numbers. You know, in college, where if you were wearing a sing, single digit, I was I was number eight. Um, my you know, I guess my freshman year, and I couldn't wear number eight because he wanted all the running backs to wear thirties and twenties, just like the pros. So everything was like pro style. Everybody's the numbers got changed. The way we practiced, I had never been a part of a team to that point where we had a special teams practice and you know he was big for that i think he was part of the one of the first coaches to actually have like a special teams coach to do all this stuff so it gave it gave us a glimpse at how pros um at least how they went about their 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 business in terms of practice but we also would have at every practice a bunch of scouts um uh, we'd have a you know a bunch of pro personnel people are on our staff willie brown was our defensive back coach mike davis was my running backs coach uh, Cedric Harmon was our defensive line coach. So all these, uh, you know, former pros were our coaches. And so it was just good to get that experience from them. And, and you can hear um, the way they coached and the way they talked about, you know, the pros that we were getting some glimpse of what it felt like. Now, obviously, uh, Long Beach State, we weren't the most talented team. And we, you know, we played teams like Clemson and Miami and it, it just wasn't close. But I thought George Allen was building something. Uh, and unfortunately, he passed away after my first year there. And then the program was in trouble. Uh, Willie Brown took over the second year there, and we didn't su- survive after that. And so when they canceled the program, that's when I ended up transferring to Georgia. And that was really a shocker because I didn't even, I didn't, I mean, Georgia, I didn't know why they would be looking at me. Uh, you know, I'm not a f- four or five star athlete out of California. Um, so for them to, to, to get me out of California was, was, was really pretty, it was pretty cool, but it told me, it told me that, that there was something there, you know, it gave me, it gave me hopes that, that my skills and if I kept working at it, that I can possibly make it on the next level. And that's exactly what happened. Jay Woods of OmegaTaxCredits.com is with me now. You've actually started a new operation, a new wing, Omega Funding Solutions. Exactly what is that and how does that work? You file an amended payroll tax return with the IRS and the IRS is backed up. You know, they were hit by COVID too. They had the pandemic to deal with. So it's taking them anywhere from six months to a year to process these refunds. So we came out with a solution where we can help you get access to that cash earlier in as as little as two weeks. See if you qualify for an ERC tax refund from the IRS, Omega Tax credits.com. 
it was so fascinating when George Allen came in, and to your point, he just he did things a certain way and was so different. I wonder, TD, watching Denver struggle the way they did, I mean, you are, again, a two-time Super Bowl champ, a Hall of Famer. It, it couldn't have been really enjoyable for you to see what they went through this year. As you look at Russell Wilson, I just want to get your thoughts. Does, does he look broken to you? And if so, can you fix him? What did you think watching him play? Yeah, everybody's starting, they're saying he's broken. And I was like, wow, I've never heard anybody talk about a quarterback like that before, to be honest with you. So um, the play wasn't good. And you can tell that it's not the Russell that they obviously thought they were they were getting. But I don't I don't think there's anything that can't be fixed, you know, with, with good coaching. Um, you know, unfortunately, I love Nathaniel Hackett as a person. It just didn't work out. I mean, you know, coming in here and having an idea of how he wanted to see things and, and maybe taking a lot of what he did in Green Bay and try to bring it, it didn't work. You know, it flat out didn't work. So I felt like Russell was getting away from what he was doing as the quarterback in Seattle. There was no movement with Russell. It was all drop back passing from the shotgun. And that just doesn't work for him. Like, that's not his style of play. You know, his style is under center, a lot more movement be a little bit more uh, aggressive when things aren't there, take off and, and pick up the four or five yards. And he wasn't doing that. And that kind of just, it's, it stalled the offense and it just got no flow and rhythm um, on top of poor decision-making and not seeing receivers open. It just wasn't there. Now, do I believe it's fixable? Do I believe somebody can come in here and make it better? Absolutely. You know, he's not, he's only 34 years old. He's not like he's 40 years old. Um, he doesn't have to be, um, you know, Michael Vick when it comes to running around, but he's got to use his feet, be more mobile. Um, you know, so I, I think um, the Broncos aren't too far away. You know, what gives me hope, the last two games we played, when you watch those games, it's very basic things they've done uh, with Jerry Rosberg and, and the offense clicked, put points on the board. Offense looked good. It looks like it was functioning. So that gives me hope. And I think the next coach would make sure that um, that the offense has a personality, that it has – you know, an identity and that they do the core things that make Russell a better quarterback. That's such great analysis. So when you look at it, TD, the good news is the new regime is pulling out all the stops, man. They are looking to take a big yeah. swing. You could tell. You could tell. Do you have an opinion? Like, who would be a good fit? Who would you like to see them hire as their next head coach? Yeah, that's, well, the three names that keeps jumping off is uh, Jim Harbaugh is the one uh, up there. Dan Quinn, the DC for for the you know the Cowboys is another one, and then Sean Payton uh, sounds sounds like these are the three um, coaches that they're looking at. And for me, I just am I am I afraid of getting somebody that we don't know the unknown? Yeah, maybe, maybe, because I, I think this organization needs stability right now. It needs somebody who has a track record where we can a proven track record where we can say, okay, this is exactly what we're shooting for the program to look like. And, um, you know, those three, I mean, like a Jim Caldwell, I, I throw him in that mix as well. So uh, if I get either one of those, I, I think I'm fine because I think they, they all could be really good coaches. Um, but we'll see. I, I, yeah, I think that's that's where they're, they're looking in that direction, man. So, TD, speaking of coaches, before you go, a couple of things. I do want to get caught up on what you're doing in addition to your broadcasting. But speaking of coaches, you played for Mike Shanahan, and nobody would ever doubt Kyle's brilliance, his son, as a play caller and an offensive mastermind. In fact, I would ask you, do you think that when it's all said and done, that Kyle may have as great or even more of an impact on the sport than maybe even Mike? Ooh, that's hard to say. <laughs> 
I would say it only from this standpoint is that Kyle Shanahan has more of his kind of uh, his tree has kind of grown uh, pretty fast, you know, from a a pretty short period of time. Um, You know, Mike still has a tree, but I think Kyle, um, with all the guys who have left him and went on to be head coaches, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. But yeah, Kyle is, um, you know, if he didn't let that, you know, obviously he has two games. I think he, he'd want back, uh, you know, the, the, you know, obviously the Atlanta game would be one. Um, but yeah, no, I, but I, I, I think that's, that, that's, that's a fair statement to make just because I think Kyle has more guys that are out there now doing things, but Mike is, and Mike is, that's a tough one to beat. That's a tough one to beat. I mean, what Mike has done for the city of Denver, the Broncos, uh, the offense that he installed, the uh, the culture he brought here and the way he coaches and develop players. It's, it's, it was, it was amazing. You know, um, I give him a lot of credit for my development and making me the player that I was. So uh, good luck with it. I know, I know Mike's in the background kind of helping Kyle out and, and really just being that, uh, you know, the foundation for him to, to help him be the best coach he can be. So I, and I, and I hope he can get it done. TD, I think that it's an interesting question, but to your point, it's a more interesting question if that Atlanta game doesn't happen but look we yeah. we know Kyle he's got a lot of good good years ahead of him and he's just so sharp you know I saw on Twitter you were saying you were asked the question who do you think is the best running back in the NFL today and you thought about it and you said you know I got to go with the king I still have to go with the king let me ask you this you yeah. mentioned Ed McCaffrey so I'm sure Christian was running around a bit when he was a youngster where do you <laughs> slide or slate Christian in that conversation because that's a multifaceted different kind of back yeah, and, and I think Jim, I think the conversation starts to to be like you, you have to put backs in different kind of categories now. You know, you got your who's your who's your best power back, who's your your bow tie, uh, dimensional back, and and I I think when you look at them like that, because it's it's a different game now. You know, backs aren't asked to tote the load like like it was when I played. So there was a a lot of bell cows, if you will, when I played, and right now there's there's not many. Um, they're asking you to be wide receiver. Um, a lot of, a lot of times you've been a receiver, so you have to do both, but yeah, Kristen is, um, definitely at the top. It's Kristen. It's, uh, it's Alvin Kamara. It's James Cook. It's, uh, I mean, Saquon goes to me still in that kind of, uh, bell cow category, but I think King, King Henry, when he's healthy, man, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch the, just the pure running style of a guy that, you know, is getting the ball and you can't stop him. That, that's, 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 uh, that's fun to watch that. This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection, the latest innovation from Discover? Discover will help regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data, and they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app, see terms, and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. Dude, it's insane, actually. I mean, to see to see that big fella, to see a guy that yeah. size. He's like two. He's like two. He's like two. He's bigger than most linemen. He's bigger than most linebackers. But when you see him run, Jim, do you really? Do you ever see him get caught from behind? I never. You don't see it happen. Never. 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 Does it happen? It is insane. So obviously, TD, before you, you're still active as a broadcaster, clearly, but you're also a business person. You're an entrepreneur. You have a lot of interests off the field. You're the co-founder of Defy. What is Defy and what is the story behind that product and that company? Because it's really interesting. 
Yeah, Defy is a performance brand, and it's uh, you know it's intended for the active uh, person, right? You don't you don't need to be a high you know, world class athlete. Just anybody who wants to be active and to feel better. And we launched the brand in 2019, and um, we have uh, a line of uh, pre uh, pre workout drinks. And kind of see it there. This is a uh, our our boost. This is kind of um it's a pre activity drink. It's lightly caffeinated. It's got uh, coconut water. It's got uh, immunity blend to it, and and it's really good. And it, this is kind of between you know it's not an energy drink, so we don't call it that. So it's kind of a mix of um like um, you say um a Gatorade and a, and a Red Bull, but not as much uh, caffeine in it, only 80 milligrams of caffeine. We also have an alkaline water that we uh, have right here. You can't see that or a little bit see that. Um, then we have a CBD drink, which is a recovery drink. So we kind of have the suite um, of drinks in a performance system where you hydrate, uh, you know, get your energy, you hydrate, and then uh, you recover when you're done. And this is really done because I was trying to um, get to a point in my life where I'm getting older and just want to try to maintain some fitness and get back the feeling of being active again. And I just, I was struggling to do that and wanted to get something that was better for you. And uh, we ended up creating this product line and it's been great, man. So you can get it in most local stores. Uh, you can go to drinkdefy.com and order it as well. You can, go, you can get it on Amazon. Um, but yeah, it's been fun. It's, it's been fun uh, watching it grow and and uh, it's just growing every year. Good for you. That's awesome. Really quickly, who who are some of the people behind the product? uh well me <laughs> no so it, it's so it's, my partners just are just um some good friends of mine and it wasn't intentional that we put this thing together it just kind of happened it was kind of uh serendipitous how it happened and we was like man listen one of my buddies who's um you know is the president uh he was in the financial world and uh, our our ceo and you know she came from the the kind of sports marketing side of it um, and then we have uh, one of our, co he's not a co-founder, but he's one of our um, guys who do the formulations, guy, guy named Mark Kovacs, who's uh, used to work for the Gatorade uh, Institute of Science and, and, and really is behind the formulations and all this stuff. So we went out there and tried to put together a well-rounded team that's, um, that is knowledgeable in, in the space of beverages. And it's just been really, really fun to get on this journey and see it grow from an idea to now it's a full, full-blown you know, brand. And uh, we're just trying to grow it every single year. Good stuff. Really good stuff. As I mentioned, TD, 250 episodes. I could not show up and not have somebody who is a impact player, difference maker, big personality, Hall of Famer, had to call out to you. So I appreciate you picking me up and saying yes. It's always good to get caught up with you and especially on a milestone pod like this for us. So I really appreciate that, TD. Thanks so not much. Not only that, man, you caught me at the right time too because, man, it's fun to wear this hat, brother. It is, it is, it is a great day to be a dog, man. <laughs> yeah, I knew you'd still be celebrating. Congrats on that. In fact, I'll run you down after the three-peat, TD. Sounds good, man. Huge thanks to TD for showing up huge for a huge episode and being worthy of the honor of episode number 250. It's a big number. If you're looking forward to the next 250 episodes, good, because we are not slowing down anytime soon. And if you want to be the first to know, every time a brand new ep drops, moving forward, all you have to do is find the subscribe button and make sure you smash that bad boy. So why don't you go ahead and do that? And in the meantime, I'm going to leave you with your voicemails. First new message. Yeah, thanks for the vine, Vance. Mike, it's Otis. 
come and listen to my story about a man named Jim drove an old murder just to keep his family fed. Then one day he was talking to some dudes, took a radio gig and changed his attitude. Traffic man, Saturday scrub show. Well, the first thing you know, Jim's a millionaire. Kim folks said, don't move away from here. Stay in California, it's the place we gotta be. So he loaded up his cash and he moved Beverly Hills, that is. Swimming pools, movie stars. Rack me, Kirsty Alley. I'm out. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim. Rob from Reno. With my top three jungle Tourette's. For me, it's a positive experience having having this Tourette's syndrome. Come on comes in handy a lot, like when you're screwing in a light bulb or trying to like get an NFL network to come onto your TV. Finally, it comes in handy all the time, like when you're at a stoplight and it finally goes green. Finally, and it kind of helps you feel better. You know, you know, you know, you know. Thank you, Fabian. That's just such a good one. It makes people laugh. And then parody Larry's do do do. Sometimes when I'm like in between deliveries, I'm like do do do, and it kind of helps me feel better. So. War Jungle Tourette's. Message saved. Next message. Ronnie, Justin in Melbourne. I mean, I'm no Barnaby Jones, but uh, did you have anything to do with that raid the other night at uh, El Chapo's son's mansion? I mean, I know you're looking for your iPad, man, but you're pulling out all the stops, brother. Message saved. Next message. What's up, Vince Mac? It's Brady. Yo, sorry to hear about your iPad. That sucks, man. It happened to me before. I called the police, and even with the find my, my iPad thing, all they do is say they'll meet you at the house, but you got to be the one to knock on the door and whatnot because they're not going to go get a warrant just for someone losing their iPad. But what you should do is put the address out there on, on the show, and you have a bunch of clones rolling up in Jalisco ready to kick down doors. But then again, I don't know if you want your iPad in the hands of some clone either, so I guess it's just time to say goodbye to that iPad. See you. Message saved. Next message. Rome! Rome's life! Romeo! How you doing, man? It's been a minute. But hey, it's 11.41 in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and that Welcome to the Jungle intro just came on. Man, I love it! I get so pumped every time I hear that. When I was in college, we had a, I had a snake named Vito. He's a ball python. But we'd always gather at my house and feed my snake. And before we'd feed the snake... We'd always turn that song on as we dropped the mouse in. So as soon as it came on, the snake would start coming up from under his rock, and it was like, here we go, it's about to go down. So thank you, Rome. Thanks for giving me that moment. Always brings me back. Message saved. Next message. Romy, it's Eric in soaking wet Baco, California. My beef is with the fact that there is a soundbite in the jungle for Rogan Loam, but there is not one for Rake Jones. So I'm going to lay three down. You can put them on wax, Alvy, and you guys have my authorization to use them, whatever you want. Ready? Here we go. Rick Jones. Rick Jones. Rick Jones. Out. Message deleted. Next message. Jim, Sean in Charlotte here. RIP to the GOAT, the legend Barbara Walters. Sorry to hear of her passing. I immediately went to the Tourette's and thought of his what? The V. Stiviano quote. And by the way, V from the C, that frequent caller, every time I hear that name, all I can think of is V. Stiviano. And did she move to Menifee? Message saved. Next message. JR, what up? Ryan in Sacktown. 
Look, this was looking like a very promising year for Sacramento with the Kings being over 500 and currently in the playoffs. But I just got in my luxury sled to head to lunch, and the jungle got fucking ripped from our affiliate, 1140. I've been listening to the fucking jungle on this station for over 25 years. Get it the fuck right. Do something about it, Sag Town. If we can keep the Kings, we can at least keep the jungle. Rhino out. Message saved. You have no more messages.